This is Ira Glass of This American Life, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, Steve-O off of Jackass. I had to like peel my face off my pillow in the morning coming out of it. Uh, it was pretty gnarly and I made a full recovery. Like I thought, I'm just blessed with uh, good skin. Actually, I actually found out that I got into clown college while still terribly burned. We are more from Steve in just a bit. The song of the week is from some close personal friends of the podcast. And we have some dumb bits to, to get to before all that starts, so enjoy those. First, there was Vanilla Coke. Then, Pepsi jumped on the bandwagon with Pepsi Vanilla. And now, Pepsi is trying to rip off Coke in an even bigger way. Introducing Pepsi Coke. It's Pepsi with the flavor of Coke. Mmm, I haven't had Pepsi this good since the last time I had a Coke. That's because the can says Pepsi, but the taste says Coke. Wow, Pepsi Coke is awesome. See, some 20-something gulped it down and said it was awesome, so it's gotta be good. And it comes in every possible variety. There's Diet Pepsi Coke 1, Caffeine-Free Pepsi Coke, Caffeine-Free Diet Pepsi Coke, Cherry Pepsi Coke, Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue, and Caffeine-Free Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue with caffeine. Wow, I had no idea the taste of all my favorite Pepsi flavors would taste better with a taste of Coke. Take the Pepsi Coke taste test today and see if you can tell if you're tasting Pepsi or Coke or both. Pepsi Coke. It's the Pepsi name you know with the taste of Coke you love. The new Mountain Dew summer flavors are here and they're extreme, extremely extreme. Like the new Mountain Dew Nervous Conniption. Mountain Dew Nervous Conniption has to be the best flavor ever. And I was trying it and I was listening all the time. Well, it was just happening to be my favorite band in the world. You know, so it was all good. So whenever I listen to them, I think about the Nervous Conniption. Oh, and right now I'm talking about one friend, Emma, because I'm probably going to have a new nervous connection with her, because, you know, wouldn't that be so much fun? We'd be all really hyped together, you know, because being hyped okay. is the best part of right. the Okay, thank you. Shut up! Sorry! New Mountain Dew Nervous Conniption. Get some fast. Steve-O is a, well, I don't know how you describe him. He's a stunt performer, a comedian, a really jack-of-all-trades in the entertainment business. He's uh, most famous, of course, for his participation in the TV series Jackass and the subsequent films. Here now is our interview with Steve-O. Yeah, dude. Hey, Steve-O, it's P.F. Oh, yeah, brother. How you doing, man? Good, man. Hey, is it okay if we use the audio of this interview on my podcast? Sure. Cool, man. No problem. Right. I, I have you on speaker, but I'm really close to the phone. Let me know if that works for you. I, I, you sound okay to me. I've got you on speaker as well, so I can record this. Um, well, Terrific, right. this, this, is a, this is a huge honor, man. Uh, you've had quite a, an interesting show business career. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um and uh, it's a big help for me. I, I always am grateful to, you know, have help selling tickets. Cool. Yeah, um, and hopefully this will help, you know, with the podcast, get, you know, more exposure around the rest of the country as well, not just uh, Minneapolis. Um, so, first of all, I- I'm jealous of you because, uh, like my brother, you have triple citizenship, uh, which I think is uh, yeah, which is fascinating. Uh, my brother is British, French, and American. I'm French and American, I found out, but... um. 
I so badly want to be British, and my brother could care less. And uh, I told him once, I said, we should write the Home Secretary and say, could I just have his British citizenship? Because he could, he could give a toss, as they say in England. Right. Um, that's funny, man. Um, the uh, I think British and French is kind of not that big of a deal, unless, um, unless England really leaves the EU. Yeah, yeah. Um, I said that was then, kind of then, then it's kind, then it's kind of cooler, but um, I don't want England to leave the EU. I think that sucks. So you lived over there for a while, and I always and I have a, a good friend of mine is Scottish, and I always and I used to work for a company. Uh, we had a, a, a British uh, concern. They were actually based in Scotland, and I asked him one time because I, um, I was writing for the website. I said, "Do you guys consider yourselves part of Europe?" Or when it, so whenever I listen to the BBC, they usually say over in Europe as if to say we're not part of Europe. And they all said, no, we're Islanders. We're not part of Europe. Was, was that the impression you got growing up there? Or, or um, Yeah, I think that, um, like, for example, next month I go on a tour of uh, the United Kingdom and Europe. Okay. And, you know, it, it's distinctly the United Kingdom <laughs> and, and, and then Europe. That's so <laughs> awesome. Know? Yeah. Well, right. And I think that... I think that um, the UK has had uh, really the best of both worlds, you know. Um, particularly England, they've um, stayed on the on the British pound, yeah. right? Like, yep. uh, you know, um, Ireland's on the euro, but uh, this is so boring. We got to start, start talking about other, other well, shit. Well, this is fascinating. <laughs> well, what I wanted to get you know, to, but, but whatever. It's like you know, England, uh, I think, has the benefit of being in the EU. As, and not on their currency. I think that's the best of both worlds. But then again, like I'm kind of ignorant, so what do I know? Yeah. Well, that that'll end uh, finance talk with Steve O today, and we'll move on to what I wanted to ask <laughs> yeah, you about sure. was growing up in England. I mean, did you always want to be in oh, show dude, business? It was great. Did you want to be in it show business or uh, a comedian, an I actor? I would say that I was such an attention whore by the time I was born. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, uh, that, yeah, I, I had little recourse other than to uh, pursue a uh, career in show business, for sure. Um, now, I don't know if that has to do with the fact that I was born in England, and uh, you know, my family moved to Brazil when I was just six months old. I spoke my first words in Portuguese. We moved to Venezuela when I was two, and I, I spoke Spanish in nursery school. We moved to, to Connecticut when I was four, and uh, I suppose that's when I became American. Okay. Uh, I went to ki- I went to kindergarten in Connecticut, moved to Miami when I was six, moved to uh, London, England when I was nine, um, and uh, moved to Canada when I was 12, but then turned around and moved back to England when I was 13. And stayed wow. all through high school. Okay. So really, my formative years, like you know, uh, I would say England was the, the biggest deal. Now, when you when you grow up in America, essentially your life doesn't really begin until you're 16 years old and and able to drive a car. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of from for most Americans, you kind of rely on mom or dad to get you around. Yep. But um, at the age of nine in in England, I had a. Uh, all of the um, all of the uh, freedom that, that a 16 year old would have, and um, I don't know if my parents were, uh, were were reckless or what, but yeah, I was just cruising all over, just cruising all over London with like the the, the underground, you know, the tube, the buses, everything. Yeah. Um, even with, like just with my bike, like I would, you know, just go all over London. It was great, man. 
um, I definitely had more freedom uh, than the average kid. And, and um, uh, you know, it's just, I'm really grateful for that. And I never even learned how to drive. I never learned how to drive until I was 20. Um, and and, and uh, I started driving when I was 20. Didn't even last, like, uh, I don't know, six months maybe. And as soon as I started driving, the first thing I did was when I got, got a car was follow the Grateful Dead all over huh. the country. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I sold drugs and stuff. Like, uh, uh, I, like... And then, uh, in my last about six months, I got, I got my first DUI. Uh, it was hilarious, dude. I, like, I pulled over. I didn't even realize I was being pulled over for, for some time. I think I was just weaving all over the road. They were trying to pull me over. Huh. But then, when they, when they did finally manage it, you know, like, when I, I remember everything after that. Like, I pulled over. I rolled down my window. The cop walks up to my car. And before he said a word, I told him, you got me. <laughs> I said, you got me fair and square. I will cooperate. <laughs> and then I got uh, my second DUI uh, less than one month after getting my license back from my first DUI. Cause that was the problem, man. I was like, I had only just learned how to drive. So I was driving like with uh, the driving ability of a 15 year old drunk off my ass with a 40 between my legs. <laughs> Oh, and uh, see, so yeah, I don't know, but um, but yeah. So, and, like my my driving history is not so good. Yeah. So, what was your sort of first foray into show business? Did you try doing comedy? Did you get interested in doing stunts or just anything to um, get attention? Because you said you're a bit of an attention whore. How that manifests oh, yeah, itself? Big time, man. I mean, I remember being like, uh, fuck, like, like being like eight years old, and um. Like getting the kids in the cafeteria to gather around me as I like just unscrewed uh, salt shakers and just consumed mass quantities of salt. Just I would just eat handfuls of salt and drink it out of the salt shaker. Like, and uh, and it was pretty impressive, but uh, it didn't make anybody like me any better, <laughs> you know. And it, it got like reports sent out to my parents, and I remember that. Uh, what else? I remember like um. I remember when I was 10 years old, one of my last baby teeth um, was just very beginning to uh, to come loose. And um, I walked into uh, to my class, sat down next to the prettiest girl in the class, which I wouldn't have normally done. But on this day, I sat down next to her, I turned to her and I said, I don't have to be in class today, I can leave whenever I want. And she didn't understand what I was talking about, but then I... I uh, just violently ripped out this tooth because I knew that that it was it wasn't ready. Yeah, so yeah. If I ripped it out, if I ripped it out really violently, there would be a lot of blood, and I made sure there was a lot of blood. I ripped it out like crazy, and um, I did that when the class started. And then I raised my my, my hand to the teacher, and I said, "Oh, teacher, I have to go to the nurse. Look, you know, there's all this blood coming out of my mouth." And the teacher says, "Go, go." And I stood up, I turned to the girl next to me, and I said, "Um." told you so <laughs> and uh, i just went like par- went parading through the, the school like you know running through the hallways like all around just so proud of myself but again it didn't uh make that girl like me any better it was just plain creepy um so i was a creepy kid and that was sort of uh again not really much of a, a departure from um 
from like what what I would go on to do. You know, I mean, it's all kind of one and the same. I'm just sort right. of an attention whore. I think that um, over the years, um, it, it, even though it doesn't look like it or it didn't look like it, um, I, I put a lot of thought into my dumb activities. You know, like uh, I really put like a lot of uh, time and effort and thought and um, you know, like into like being a jackass, really, man. Um, and I think that uh, over the years. It, uh, it it all kind of paid off, man. So to get the gig on Jackass, you were making videos independently, and that fell into the hands of the fellow that was producing the show. Yeah, it, I mean, I was generally I would make videos, and, and you know, I always had the, the two VCRs connected together, uh, dubbing VHS tapes back and forth, and uh, just shipping them off to whoever I thought might watch them. Um, so this uh, is... And uh, generally in the skateboard industry was, was my oh, main okay. focus. Okay. Um, I forgot there was a magazine that. I was a huge fan of called Big Brother. It was, uh, it was a filthy, naughty magazine. It was, it was just a great history. You know, there's one guy in the skateboard industry, Steve Rocco, uh, owned like a, a conglomeration of skateboard companies called World Industries. And he basically had a monopoly on the skateboard industry. It was just like the Bill Gates of skateboarding. Um, and I guess that's an old reference. It's maybe not so valid anymore. But uh, in sense. any case, um, the, the two major magazines in skateboarding were Thrasher and Big... Or, sorry, Thrasher and Transworld. And this guy, Steve Rocco, would run his World Industries ads. And they were just fucking awesome. You know, like, just the craziest shit. And one of them, one of his ads was, uh, like, a little kid holding a gun in his mouth. And it just said, World Industries kill yourself. <laughs> it was fucking cool. And both Thrasher and Transworld um, sent back uh, the guy's ad. They said, they said, they said, if you think we're right this fucking ad, you're out of your mind. You know? <laughs> uh, and, um, so so the, both Thrasher and Transworld rejected it. Uh, and these are the only like two major magazines in skateboarding. I mean, this is like how, how you run a company, you know? So Steve Rocker said, um, Oh, yeah, you don't like my fucking ad? And fuck you. You know, it was even better than that, too, because one guy, I forget if there's, I think it was the guy from, from Transworld. He said, uh, he said, uh, hey, man, I just want you to know that when I was in high school, one of my best friends killed himself, you know? And so, like, this this ad, like, really upsets me. And, and Steve Rocker said, uh, said to him, like, uh, he said, oh, man, I'm so sorry that happened, like, Maybe you could do me a favor and just write a, a whole list of every little bad thing that ever happened to you so that I can model my business based on your pussy-ass sensibilities. Huh. <laughs> and he said, fuck you, fuck Thrasher, fuck all of you. I, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fucking advertise on your shit ever anymore, period. And uh, he said, I'm going to start my own magazine. And so that's how Big Brother Magazine started. And um, it was basically like, just Steve Rocco, uh, and and he he just wanted to. It wasn't even about skateboarding. I mean, it was skateboarding was just a thin veil. It was just basically a forum for filthy nonsense that would never be allowed to appear in the pages of Thrasher or Transworld. That was basically their mission statement. Uh-huh. Like if Thrasher, if Thrasher or Transworld would run it, then uh, it is not okay. <laughs> huh. uh, and that's why I loved it so much. They had like, 
on the cover. I mean, they would just fucking make stacks of burning Bibles, and that was one of my favorite covers. They they literally burnt a stack of Bibles, and they had a pro skateboarder dressed in a, t- a devil's costume with a pitchfork doing a kickflip over the burning Bibles. They crucified people with skateboards. They fucking, they did everything, man. They had a, like, a, you know, like, like genuine, like, like bona fide fucking, uh, like, integrity, journalistic integrity they always had, too. So when they wrote articles on how to buy crack, <laughs> I mean, mind you, this is a magazine for little kids, too. And uh, they, they wrote dead serious articles on, like, how to buy crack, <laughs> like the 10 most efficient ways to kill yourself, like how to make fake IDs. Like every magazine, every fucking issue was just loaded with the greatest shit ever. And I loved it. And um, I, I was living in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, at the time when Big Brother came on a tour with the, the protein for Duff's Shoes. And, um, you know, they were in my city, and I was just so stoked about it. And I told them, or I mean, I tracked them down at the skate park. And I just told the, the Dimitri, Dimitri Eliaskovich was there with George from Big Brother. I told him that uh, I was just, just playing simple. I'm going to do something tonight that's so fucking gnarly that it's going to be, you're going to put it in Big Brother, you know? Like, I basically told them that they had no choice but to put me in their magazine because then I was going to force them to do it. Whether they liked me or not, I didn't care. I just wanted to be a big brother. So my stunt that night was to light my head on fire and, and have a pro skateboarder blow a fireball off my head, you know, like using my head as a torch. And uh, to like stick my arm in it with my my arm doused with flammable liquid and I had a mouthful of flam, you know, and my arm's on fire and and then I'm going to do a backflip, like simultaneously breathing fire with my head on fire. The problem was the skateboarder didn't really know what he was doing, and he blew the fireball point blank into my face. Ouch. Like, uh, yeah, I had him do it from the side so that I could more effectively get my arm into the fireball, which was an ex- a mistake because it exposed half of my face to uh, the fire, and he blew it point blank into my face. So my head was on fire from, like, shoulders up, you know, my entire face was engulfed in flames, and, and my thinking was, I better hurry up and do this fire-breathing backflip. <laughs> huh. uh, so, I, you know, so whatever the case was, I, I came up kind of short on the backflip. Uh, I, I landed badly, so then it was more difficult to put my head out. I swelled across his backyard, trying to get my fucking face out of the fire to put the fire out, and it took me a while. And I had, like, the skin. I remember by the time I got it out, like, like, I was holding like all this skin from my from my face, man. It was kind of like rolled up like a joint, it, um, and uh, like I just was burned. I had second degree burns on uh, like half of my face, and I was hospitalized. And for like three weeks, um, you know, maybe like two weeks. I don't know. Um, I had to like peel my face off my pillow in the morning because shit was Ooh. coming out of it. Uh, it was pretty gnarly, and I made a full recovery. Like I thought, I'm just blessed with uh, good skin. I guess so. Um, I actually, I actually found out that I got into clown college while still terribly burned. But I got my article on Big Brother. Uh, then uh, I became kind of a regular in the magazine because, especially once I was going to clown college, they thought that was hilarious. And uh, they came through again through Albuquerque, and I tracked them down again. And then it just really developed into a relationship where they would actually call me. When, uh, you know, they're like, when I moved to Florida, they're like, hey, we're coming to Florida, so let's hook up on this tour. 
which was just my dream come true. I loved it. And uh, then I started working for like uh, for for my own segment uh, in the Big Brother video. You know, like uh, yeah. they would put out these these videos. Okay. It's important, you know, like, uh, and the fucking videos were epic, man. Uh, and then at one point, like, what happened was, and I didn't know this was going on, but while I was working on my part for the, the third Big Brother video, um, the guy in charge of Big Brother magazine, oh, and by the way, it was so fucking rad, Steve Rocco, when he did the kids issue, every, like, the magazines would have themes, and they had the kids issue, which had uh, an eight-year-old Ryan Sheckler on the cover. And um, and the kids' issue, they, I mean, it was they really just basically crossed the line. They're like, you know, interviewing with these kids that are like, you know, 12 years old or, you know, whatever, like minors. And they're like, would you fuck your own mother if that wouldn't make you a pro skateboarder? <laughs> Shit like oh, that, you should not. You know, yeah. like, they had, a lot, they had a lot of really wild shit in that kids' issue. And it, and it's, it generated a uh, like a shitstorm of controversy that got it on like mainstream news, and um, it was at that point when the when the the kids issue uh, was on the news that um, Larry Flint caught wind of it, and Larry Flint was like, "I like what these guys are doing." And so Larry Flint bought Big Brother Skateboard magazine from uh, from Steve Rocco. And uh, and and then at that point, uh, Jeff Tremaine, who was already like in charge of it, like uh, Jeff Tremaine was like just the guy. It was basically Jeff Tremaine's magazine. And um, Larry Flint was publishing some twenty nine skateboard magazines, or no, twenty nine porno magazines, and then Big Brother, which is essentially a porno magazine too. They had it all filled with fucking nudity. But once Larry Flint uh, started publishing it, then there was no more nudity in it. Huh. Weird. Uh, and yeah, I know weird, but like I guess legally they like they have to kind of start giving us luck a little bit. But um, so uh, so the, the fucking videos were just epic, you know. And uh, and this is how Knoxville came into the picture too. He came into the picture before me. He had moved to L.A. when he was like 18 years old, and uh, he wanted to uh, become an actor. I mean, his, his story is just like the the Bad Company song, Shooting Star. You know, he went to go be a big star, and um. Like, it wasn't really getting too far. And when once he was, like, starting, like, to approach 30 years old, like, he just decided, fuck it, I'm, like, I'm sick of waiting to get discovered. I'm gonna just going to force the world to discover me. And he sent out this, uh, like, uh, um, this proposal to, like, every, um, you know, media outlet out there. And he was like, I, um, I will, uh, I want to do a product review on self-defense equipment and, and uh, what it will entail is um, I'm going to spray myself with red pepper spray. I'm going to get drilled to the ground with a 120,000-volt stun gun. I'm going to get tasered with the barbs and the wires. And then I'm going to put on a bulletproof vest and shoot myself with a Smith & Wesson 38. And uh, he said, all I need is the bulletproof vest. <laughs> he said, I'll do it for anybody. And everywhere, like the late-night shows, Howard Stern, he, he canvassed everywhere. And everybody turned him down. Except for Big Brother magazine, which yeah. is just uh, Jeff Tremaine was like, "Yeah, go ahead and film it. You know, <laughs> don't just write the article." Yeah, uh, and so, so they filmed it. Jeff Tremaine gave, gave uh, Knoxville um, the bulletproof vest, and he did it all. Um, and uh, and then you know, so Knoxville became part of the Big Brother family. I became part of the Big Brother family. 
videos were just off the fucking charts. Like Knoxville standing in the middle of the road saying, I'm Johnny Knoxville and I'm going to get hit by a car real soon. Huh. <laughs> and the car just comes fucking 30 miles an hour and just blows him out. You know, he goes through the windshield, the car never stops. It's awesome. Jeez, and then the two things that MTV would never show. They would, the MTV never showed him shoot himself at the Smith and Wesson huh. or, or get hit by the car on purpose. Oh, my God. Uh, but they showed everything else. Yeah, they wouldn't, there was a few things that they didn't show. But um, the thing was that while wow, the Big Brother videos, because this was Big Brother video number three, and they were getting better and better. So Jeff Tremaine, who's in charge of Big Brother, reached out to, to his buddy Spike Jones. Who, who started out as a photographer yeah. for Steve Rocco, for World Industries. And, um, you know, Spike Jones' first uh, video project, um, he was just a photographer for World Industries, and he got delegated the job of making the World Industries video, I think, like, by default. Like, nobody else would do it. And that was Spike Jones' first video project um, was for Steve Rocco. And... Um, then, of course, Spike Jones became, they went on to become a, this Hollywood nominated Oscar fucking, you know. Yeah. You know, Oscar nominated fucking movie director. And, uh, Jeff Tremaine, you, you know, years, years, uh, after, uh, whatever, you know, when the Big Brother videos were going off, Jeff Tremaine reached out to Spike Jones and he's like, dude, everybody loves our Big Brother videos so much, but really nobody gives a fuck about the skateboarding. And I think uh, if we um, if if we to take out the skateboarding, then what's left over would make a great TV show. So they just subtracted the skateboarding from the Big Brother videos, and uh, what was left over was me and Wee Man and Knoxville and Pontius, and uh, they kind of joined forces with Bam and his crew, and the rest was history. There you go. And how did the stand-up come into it? Did you when did you start doing that? Uh, I started stand-up like 10 years ago, or just over 10 years ago now, um, and I mean, this is at, like after after clown college, you know, I, I worked in the circus as a clown, uh, my last day working in the circus was my first day filming, you know, the, the Jackass series, Yeah. Uh, and I was like a half an hour out of my clown makeup for the last time when I was keeping up the goldfish, and huh. um, then, uh, then when Jackass came out, um, you know, right away we were like sort of, you know, overnight celebrities. And um, I got a, a, a call, a few of us got a call from like this shady rave promoter in Cleveland who, uh, you know, I put together a tour with. And so I was doing like, you know, a live show from the very beginning. And um, that live show kind of turned into the stand-up. Um, you know, even though it was unintentional that I would do conventional stand-up. Yeah. You know, I got I got invited to a comedy club to do a stunt in the summer of 2006, and uh, you know I didn't have any plan. I just walked in and looked around, and I just couldn't think of a crazier stunt than trying stand up. So uh, I uh, just you know waited while I waited for my turn to get go on stage. I just thought of you know the things I might say to try to get laughs, and uh, I came up with a few things. I probably wasn't on stage more than like three minutes. But, uh, you know, my sense when I got on the stage was that people were excited to see me. They were interested in what I was going to say. And uh, they were rooting for me to do well. And, you know, like, I kept it short and I, I said some funny stuff that was, like, you know, kind of outrageous. And uh, I got some legitimate laughs. And, you know, from that first time, I was basically hooked on it. Not hooked on it, but I was committed yeah. to uh, pursuing it. 
Well, cool, and, man. Uh, you know, I, I, had, I had some time to... You know, I was such a mess back then, and um, I, I, I would dabble and stand up here and there, but really, I, it took me a while to get sober, and um, and then once I got sober, then I, then I really dove into it. And now I've been on tour for the last six years. I, I don't know if this is my third or fourth time coming to uh, the uh, Mall of America um, House of Blues, or the House, House of, of Comedy. Comedy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's my third time. I don't know, but uh, but it's been great every time. You know, like I'm not really worried about uh, you know about it doing well. You know, um, I'd love to sell out every show. I mean, that, that's like uh, always the goal. But but yeah, it's been great, man. And um, you know what it's turned into is basically a uh, you know a one man uh, a one man comedy jackass show where you know I mix together stories and jokes and stunts and tricks cool. uh, so it's really kind of like a unique um and like nobody else like really uh, i don't think does a show like that and um you know like i'm just really confident in uh in the wealth material that my life has provided me you know I've, like I'm, I'm good at uh not wasting anybody's time and and you know making sure that the shit is uh, is is shocking and and juicy and out uh, you know just outrageous shit. Cool, it's not man. boring and uh, you know I have enough experience doing it now too that I don't really consider myself green anymore. You know. Oh no. Uh, I've got I've got my I've got my own hour long comedy special on Showtime, and of course I have a, I'm doing a whole new show now. Um, and uh, fuck man, like this tour over the last six years have gone to. Uh, Probably, yeah, pretty much all 50 states and, and uh, 18 countries as well. Awesome. Um, yeah, dude. So I'm just thrilled with it, man. You know, like, it's really exciting to um, have kind of, uh, I wouldn't say broken away from Jackass, but to have, uh, um, but you know, I don't ever really want to, I don't want to break away from it, but, right. I, but I've kind of survived, I've survived Jackass. Yeah, yeah, you've, you got, you've gone beyond it. Well, it's cool, man. Appreciate you taking the time today. This is all fascinating stuff, and uh, this will be in print and online in city pages. Hey, you know, I, you're there. I, 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 love, I love talking about fucking history. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, how Big Brother turned into Jackass. Yeah. It's, it's lightning in a bottle, man. Like, yeah. nothing like that has ever happened. And uh, and I don't think it could, could ever happen again. Yeah. Well, continued success to you, sir. Hopefully, see it on Cincinnati uh, here where I am again sometime soon. And uh, oh, good, dude. Uh, have... Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that a lot, man. Okay. Thank you so much. Have fun up in Minneapolis. Thanks for talking to me again, uh, Steve. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. Likewise, Bye. brother. Thank you. Thanks again to Steve-O for being on the show. You can catch Steve, let's see here, October 27th to the 30th at the Spokane Comedy Club in Spokane, Washington. Then he's at the House of Comedy in Bloomington, Minnesota, that's suburban Minneapolis, November 3rd through 6th, and then Comedy Off-Broadway in Lexington, Kentucky, November 10th through 13th. And then he's overseas for uh, several dates in the UK. And for all things Steve-O, just go to steveo.com. There's no dash or anything, it's just Steve-O. All one word. All right, well, we're running a little late this week, so I'm going to let you out early. But uh, we're going to get to the song of the week here. Song of the week is from some very close personal friends to the podcast. 
Although these guys actually were on my old podcast, the old fantasy football podcast, I guess, or at least two of them were. It's the Imagination Movers, and uh, we've seen them in the past. We've met them before. Super, super nice guys. Like I said, when I did the fantasy football podcast, uh, the two Scots, which is Scott Durbin and Smitty, Scott Smith, uh, big fantasy football fans, and they were on several episodes of the old No Huddle fantasy football podcast. Always happy to do it. Always willing to you know talk about fantasy football and such. So super, super nice guys. And... Um, they had a Disney show. I don't know if, they, if that's still on or, or what, but they uh, released a new single called Supermovers. I think they're trying to get an animated series going, and they need folks to download and prove interest in the song. So uh, I did that. I paid my 99 cents and downloaded this. It is the track of the week. These guys are super talented. And um, I would say, you know, if you know someone that's you need to need kids' music for something, I'd recommend the Imagination Movers. It, it is kid music, but it's very adult-friendly. I know a lot of people say that, but this really is when they perform live. They'll mix in songs by Tears for Fears and Black Sabbath and all kinds of things that grown-ups know, Journey, Rolling Stones, you know, you name it. They'll mix those in. And yeah, like the Wiggles will do covers of like Six Months in a Leaky Boat, but then like Captain Feather's Roar will ruin it. So um, it's not, not like that. And um, although Wiggles did a nice uh, cover of Brian Wilson's uh, Little Children, which is a very, and, and Captain Feather's Roar didn't ruin that. But I would say if the Wiggles are the Beatles, then the Imagination Movers are the Rolling Stones. Uh, how about that? So uh, anyway, this is the uh, single, new single for Imagination Movers. Do download it. Help out friends of the show if you can. Song of Super Movers, our song of the week on PF's Tape Recorder. So long and thanks for listening. Become a superhero Deep inside of you You got that power too Nobody ever gonna do What you do What you There's a million ways Somebody can be strong